Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hey everybody! We're gonna have a great time here at The Lone Gunman. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How you doing, little prayer warrior? Hey, all you prayer warriors out there! Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know what, little prayer warrior? You know, it's not about me. It's not about Mr. Bat. It's about Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Captain Pyramid, do you have a word of advice? Oh, oh, oh. What's happening, Captain Pyramid? What's happening? It's a demon. Came up behind me. Got him in a headlock. for the young followers who are watching this video? Change your socks every day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And pray. Always pray. Pray, pray, pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Captain Prayer Man? Oh! Is it another demon, Captain Prayer Man? Oh, no, it's heartburn. I ate a chili dog right before this interview. Interview over. What's up, everybody? This is your captain of the ship, the Lone Gummin Podcast. My name is Rob Clark. With you here today, in case you hadn't gleaned uh, the obvious, we're going to be talking about Prayer Man today. But before we do, before we do that, let me first thank from the bottom of the Lone Gummin's heart, James... W for your most gracious contribution and support of the show it is appreciated and if you'd like to be just like James and help out the show support the show head over to tlgpodcast.com and click the donate button I would greatly appreciate it 
Also, everybody out there, you know my partner in crime, Doug Campbell, at the Dallas Action Podcast, is doing really, really great stuff over there and doing groundbreaking interviews with Dr. Uh, Caulfield, Jeffrey Caulfield, who wrote the book General or the Murder of or shit General Walker and the Murder of President Kennedy. Um, he's got three interviews with him in the can already. He just dropped the third one uh, this week, and I recommend highly if you're interested in learning the truth about the Kennedy assassination and what the hell was going on in New Orleans with Guy Bannister and all these right wing extremists. To head over there immediately and check out his past three shows with Dr. Jeffrey Caulfield on the subject. You're going to walk away amazed at the knowledge that he is dropping over there. So kudos to Doug at the Dallas Action for his groundbreaking interviews. My partner in crime, the doc to my Wyatt, together we ride... American-made, worldwide played, baby. That's how we're rolling. All right. (laughs) Prayer Man. You might say, but Rob, you already did a show last year on Prayer Man. Well, I did, and I went back and listened to the show, and and it's a good show. Don't get me wrong. It stands on its own. Uh, Most of my views have not changed, but the reason I wanted to do this show is because It's very important uh, to many researchers out there, this prayer man phenomenon. Some even use it as a litmus test to gauge your uh, research, researcher, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, your chops, Um, you know, to basically say, well, if you don't believe in the prayer man, then you're not a real JFK researcher. Now, of course, I don't support that view, uh, but many in the community do. I mean, that's how serious this business is with this prayer man. Now, a lot of people like to compare it to Doorway Man. The whole Ralph Sinkay, Jim Fetzer, Oswald Innocence campaign nonsense. It's nothing, it's nothing like it. They're working off of fictitious and manufactured uh an unsupported evidence of photo alteration. What we do have with Prayer Man is the fact that somebody is captured in that little alcove there at the top of the steps in the Darnell film, the Couch film, and the Wigman film. And basically, a lot of people have been looking into it. You know, the research has been done as far as who this person could be. Um, it's been supposed that since the person is way up there at the top of the steps, kind of back in the shadows, that it had to be a school book depository worker. Um, you know, and, and, and it just had to be. I mean, who, who, who would, from the street, push their way up through all those depository employee workers you know out there on the steps to get up to this top step of the depository where um you know once once the president went by that would have been your view 
you know, you wouldn't have been able to see down the street or watch him go, watch him pass, which maybe was good enough for whoever this person was. And, you know, that that's a solid, that's a solid supposition to work with, that this person had to be a depository worker. I mean, who would, who would cut up, worm their way through all those people standing on the steps, you know, to make their way up to this top step? Now, it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody did do this, um, but that action is not recollected by anyone that was actually, that we know was actually present out on the steps. Now, of course, the big problems that people have with prayer man identification, to which, um, well, let me back up for a second. Let me back up for a second. The reason I wanted to revisit this is because there is a book that just came out. And I got it on Kindle. It was relatively cheap. Um, you know, I think it was called Prayer Man by Stan Dane. And he's a member of the Ed Forum and uh, ROKC. You know, my guy's down there in Australia doing their thing. And uh, basically... The book, instead of having to pour through thousands of pages of forum posts and 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 sometimes nonsense, what Stan did was kind of collate all of Sean Murphy's research into one book. Um, it, it very much goes through the thread from beginning to end as far as the progression of research and, and who contributed to it, because it very much was, while it was Sean Murphy's baby, there was a lot of contributing uh, help from, you know, the JFK community at large as, you know, members of both of these forums, and they're all mentioned in the book. And a big part of that, uh, of course, was was Greg Parker's research into the Marion Baker's second floor lunchroom encounter. And we'll get into that, I promise. Um, recently, I believe Duncan McRae, uh, over at his forum, kind of put forth the idea that Prayer Man was actually a woman. Which, I, I don't buy that at all. Um just from what I've seen, um, I've seen, you know, basically where they kind of outline the, the, the photo and, and kind of explain why they think as a woman, you know, with the, with the coat she was wearing and, uh, you know, the hair, I just don't see it. I'm sorry. I don't, I just don't, I don't buy that. I don't see it at all. And, you know, recently, uh, I forget who it was. It may, it may have been Gerda Dunkel. I'm not sure. But somebody's put together uh, a series of gifts of Prayer Man. Um, and gifts is just basically little short video clips that are on a loop. You know, where it keeps showing you over and over again what what we're looking at here. And, and they, they, they kind of focused on the Prayer Man and what he was doing. And it's very interesting to see, at least for me it was, you know his kind of his arm movements, it because it's been it's been supposed before. You know, I mean, Prayer Man got his name because of his position, um, of his hands. You know, like he was praying. But it's been supposed that he was eating a sandwich. It's been supposed that he was taking a drink. Um, 
then there is evidence support that whoever was standing there was drinking because a Dr. Pepper bottle uh, was found and it, and can be seen in photographs from that day in the very spot where our, the prayer man was standing. So that is a good clue that this person may have had a Dr. Pepper bottle in their hand and taking a drink. But the movement you can see going from, um, you know, kind of by their waist out in front of them, you know, up to their their face, um, you know, could be taking a drink out of a bottle. It also kind of looks to me like somebody was taking a picture because there is a bit of a reflection that can be seen either from a glass bottle or from the lens of this camera. Um, so, it, it, you know, it could be either one. Like I said, there's no, ev- there's no evidence whatsoever to support that this person was taking a picture. It just kind of looks like that, you know, that way just from the movements. There is evidence that there is a Dr. Pepper bottle found right there on the steps where Prayer Man was standing. Could this have been his bottle? I don't know. It's possible. Um, so, you know, it, it's big, big news, um, at least to, to some folks, you know, that, that, that Prayer Man, by process of elimination, had to have been Oswald if it was a depository worker. And... A lot of people dismiss Prayer Man offhand. Uh, a lot of people do, saying that Prayer Man is just Billy Lovelady. You know, which, and I, and I can't remember exactly which picture shows what. But I believe in the Wigman film, or the still from the Wigman, you can see Billy Lovelady and Prayer Man in the same frame. And I believe... In the, I believe it's the darn, I believe it's the Darnell. Billy Lovelady's not present. Now, an interesting thing we do see in the Darnell film, it's either the Darnell or the Couch. It's very hard to get, keep these things straight, as far as you know what happened in each one because they're so similar and and the views are similar. Um, but in one of them, you can you can see a police officer running into the building, right past Prayer Man. Now. In order for that to happen, okay, um, a couple things must 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 happen for for that to happen. If Prayer Man was Oswald, okay, and and this is where I was talking about before with Greg Parker's research going into the to the second floor lunch encounter being fabricated. That's right. So, because of course, if if Marion Baker is running past. Lee Oswald standing out on the steps, then you've got a problem because he can't be in two places at once. Is it feasible that after this short video clip of you know Marion Baker running into the building, that Oswald had time to go up the front steps to get to the second floor landing and, and get in the lunchroom and buy a soda before Marion Baker and truly come up there? It's possible. Now the, the problem is this is, of course, Marion Baker's version of events. Now, his first day affidavit is about what happened. Um, He doesn't describe the lunchroom encounter. He says that they met somebody on the stairs on the third or fourth floor um, who was wearing a light brown jacket who Mr. Truly vouched for as an employee of the school book depository. Didn't mention the lunchroom at all. 
Now, I, I understand that for somebody rushing into a building, kind of spur of the moment, and running up steps, that it might be hard for them to determine um, exactly what floor they're on. So I can understand, you know, if somehow Marion Baker might have been mistaken from the second or the, to the third or fourth floor. Because the way the stairway is, you know, it just doesn't go right up to the next floor. It kind of goes up and turns and goes up again uh, and so on and so forth all the way up. So, you know, it, it's, it is odd why in his first day affidavit, he didn't, you know, he got the kind of the floor wrong there and didn't mention anything about a lunchroom. Now, you know, a couple of days later, you know, after Oswald is dead, then we get a different story. And we get a different story, of course, told to the Warren Commission. Now, the interesting thing about Marion Baker and his testimony to the Warren Commission is this. That while Marion Baker was giving his affidavit, um, he saw Oswald being brought into the police station. And the Warren Commission tried very, very hard to get Marion Baker to admit that the shirt that Lee was wearing when he was arrested was the shirt that he had saw him in in the depository. And Marion Baker would not say that. He, he maintained that it was some form of a light brown shirt. Now, this will be important later on. Um, you know, there's also some confusion about um, a Marion Baker written statement to the, to the uh to the Warren Commission very late in the game, uh, you know, where he, he marked out that Oswald was drinking a Coke and this, that, and the other, and that a lot of these statements look kind of like they were written by the same person. Um, and while that could be damning, possibly damning on its own, it's not necessarily proof of anything. A lot of these guys, when they were going in, to tell to tell their statements, you know, they weren't just given a blank piece of paper and said, "Here, write write it down." You know, some of them, you know, the same person was kind of transcribing what this person was telling them, um, and all they had to do was sign it. So, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's what happened. Um, it doesn't have to be a total fabrication, uh, you know, to match the official story, or it doesn't have to be that sinister. But I would definitely recommend getting Stan Dane's book, you know, and I would definitely recommend everybody checking out the Prayer Man research. Um, and, and what Stan has done is eliminated the need to have to go troll through thousands and thousands of posts on the education forum and the ROKC, ROKC forums. And what he's done is he's, uh, you know, made it concise and easy to follow and, uh, So if you haven't ever heard the entire argument for prayer, man, instead of just dismissing it out of hand, uh, you, you need to read the book or you need to get over to the forum and look through the threads yourself and make your own judgments. You know, these snap judgments where people just pose and write it off without even, you know, really taking a glance at the research that Sean Murphy's done and put together and all these other contributors. You know, it's really you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't go check it out. Um, now, some of the 
key points that we're going to be touching on today come straight out of the book. Um, and some of the things are like this. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of go chronologically through it here. Um, like at the end of the chapters, he, he, he kind of bullet points the, the, uh, the highlights, you know, of the research from that time. Um, and we'll talk about them. Uh, First ones kind of go like this. Uh, the person appears to be a man in the Darnell image, and despite the poor quality of the image, he looks somewhat like Lee Oswald. All the TSBD employees who testified they were on the steps when the motorcade passed by are accounted for in these pictures. None can be prayer man. All the employees testified that there were no strangers in the Texas School Book Depository that day. Will Fritz's notes state Oswald said he was on the first floor and went out in front with Bill Shelley. Billy Lovelady <clears throat> was the man peeking around the wall at the entrance of the TSBD, TSBD building in the Alton's photo. The FBI believed that it was him and not Lee Oswald. Uh, if Prayer Man was Oswald, he apparently had time, if he hurried, to make it up to the second floor lunchroom for the encounter with Marion Baker. Now, we've touched on most of these already. But one we haven't is, of course, using Will Fritz's notes. Uh, to where it says Oswald stated that he was on the first floor and went out in front with Bill Shelley, uh, which they do not state that. For the hundredth time, we went over this when it comes to Doorway Man because this is the exact same excuse that they used to put Oswald out front on the steps. And the same argument applies to this as it did to them, that Will Fritz's notes... uh, were not taken at the time of the interrogation. They were made after Oswald was already dead. They were likely copied over from uh, book uh, FBI agent Bookout's notes. Um, and a big problem that we don't have is that we don't know the question asked. That these are just fragments. Okay, what 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 the notes really said is out with Bill Shelley in front. To which we don't know the question asked. We don't know if it said, where was Wesley Frazier, the guy that brought you to work, out with Bill Shelley in front? Where was the building manager out with Bill Shelley in front? You know, where were you out with Bill Shelley in front? <clears throat> um, because earlier in the notes, it was established that he had been in the building at the time of the shots, according to the notes. Now, the notes will come up again, and we'll get to that. Um, some more. Uh, anticipating where the prayer man inquiry may be leading, objections are made that it's either impossible to say who prayer man might be, or it must be someone such as Buell Wesley Frazier. Frazier's testimony rules him out as prayer man. His known appearance doesn't resemble Prayer Man either. Prayer Man appears to be dressed like a laborer, not like a supervisory personnel or an office worker. Uh, the Hughes uh, <clears throat> film may reveal signs that the Prayer Man made a late entrance from inside the TSB to the spot where he was photographed at in the Wigman and Darnell films, which might explain his being unnoticed. Prayer Man appears to be holding something, which we touched on before. Harry Holmes testified that Lee Oswald said he was in or near the first floor vestibule, front lobby between two sets of doors, 
by the TSBD front entrance when he encountered a police officer. Now, this is also different from the lunchroom encounter because the only police officer went rushing in there was Marion Baker. Uh, the fact that the FBI was happily relieved that Lee Oswald was not the one standing in the doorway in the auction six uh, and indicates they may have known that Oswald claimed he was down in front, which is supposition. Uh, we don't know that. Uh, the second floor lunchroom encounter between Marion Baker and Lee Oswald was not in Baker's original report, which we've touched on before. Instead, it describes an encounter on the fourth floor with a man that Roy truly vouched for as his employee. A few days later, uh, when Baker transcribed the report that referenced the second floor lunchroom encounter while dropping any mention of an encounter higher up the stairs. Roy Truly's odd statement that they saw no one there as he and Baker entered the TSBD, there meaning just inside the front of the building, suggests the possibility that someone may have been talking noisily about having seen Truly and an officer just inside the front of the building, just after the shooting, something that had to be disclaimed. Carolyn Arnold told others that she spotted Oswald in the second floor lunchroom several minutes before the assassination, as late as 1225. In their November 22, 1963 report, Bookout and Hosty said Oswald claimed that he, one, went to the first floor dominant room for lunch, and then went to the second floor lunchroom to buy a Coke, and went to the first floor where he was at the time of the assassination. Oswald claims in the Bookout and Hosty report come with precise locations except for claim number three, which is, of course, when he said he was on the... Uh, on the first floor at the time of the assassination. Now, some of this, uh, you know, we've gone over, uh, some of it's supposition. Now, one of the problems we have is that when Lee Oswald worked, uh, he generally worked in a plain white t-shirt. And in fact, no one, reported Oswald's appearance that day as being anything other than in a white t-shirt. Um, Carolyn Arnold says she saw him in a white t-shirt and a couple other people as well. And nobody said that he was in that ugly brownish orange shirt that looked like a jacket that he was arrested in. Um, that that's kind of an odd shirt and would have been memorable memorable to people, but nobody says that he was wearing that. Um, which is another one of the OIC's claim OIC's claims that Doorway Man is wearing the arrest shirt in the Alchins photo. And we've debunked that. Now the shirt business is a little different when it comes to Prayer Man. Because as According to Marion Baker, a light brown shirt. Um, according to Oswald himself, in the notes, he stated that he went home and he changed his clothes. That he had been wearing a reddish shirt, long sleeve shirt, and a pair of gray trousers. And lo and behold, we have a what could be described as a reddish shirt, which is light brown. Um, red being a shade of brown. Some people could have, you know, depending on where you grew up, 
maybe the term brown wasn't, uh, you know, widely known, like khaki or, you know, what do you call light brown, other than light brown, maybe reddish. Um, but anyway, in Oswald's own words, supposedly, he said that he had a reddish, he didn't say red, he said reddish, which could have been any variant of, of the color spectrum from red to brown. Um, and gray trousers, which he changed, which he was not in at the time of his arrest either. He had on black pants. So obviously, he changed his clothes uh, when he went home. So, and they found a reddish, light brown shirt in Oswald's dirty clothes, along with a pair of dirty gray pants, just like he said. Um, so, and the reason this is important is because Prayer Man, it looks looks like, at least in the Darnell, which is basically the clearest image we have of Prayer Man, um, and by no means is it the greatest, but it is the, the the lightest and clearest view we have of Prayer Man. It does appear that he has he has a solid, um, dark colored, uh, long sleeve button up shirt. Which could be, could very well be the shirt found at 1026 Beckley in the dirty clothes. So that is a plus for that. Some other points they like to make. Oswald comes downstairs to lunch uh, in the first floor domino room at some point after noon. Several minutes before the assassination, he visits the second floor where he buys a Coke. He brings the Coke downstairs, and just as JFK is passing the building, this is a supposition, he steps out the glass door at the front entrance and takes up the prayer man position. Within seconds of the last shot, Marion Baker rushes up the front steps, revolvers drawn. He notices Oswald, who has perhaps stepped inside the door into the lobby area and asks him, Do you work here? The reason for Baker's question is not that he suspects Oswald in any way, but that he is looking for someone who can point him the way to the stairs. Rather, as a credentials-waving man, will a short time ask after this, which I guess is Pierce Allman, uh, where he can find a phone. Just as Baker is beginning to engage Oswald in this way, Roy truly arrives and tells him, Yes, officer, he works here, but I am in the building. I am the building manager, and I will show you the way upstairs. So Baker and Truly run off to cross the shipping floor for the rear elevators. This innocent incident, with its basic elements still intact, Oswald, uh, Coke, asking whether Oswald is an employee, truly confirming, will later that evening be transplanted up to the second floor lunchroom in a hastily contrived attempt to deprive Oswald of his clear alibi. Now, that scenario is very interesting because um, of a couple things. We know from Pierce Allman that he did he he thought that he ran into Oswald as he was coming in the building. The problem well, I guess it's not really a problem, but Pierce Allman places the time that he went into the Texas School Book School Book Depository is about <clears throat> three or four minutes after the shots rang out. Three or four minutes after the assassination. Um this could have been when Oswald supposedly was leaving the building. 
Another problem we have, of course, is Buell Frazier, who two years ago in his sixth floor uh, living living, uh, witness uh, testimony, his his film testimony there is about an hour long. He claimed, which is something that he had never claimed before, he claims that Oswald comes walking down Houston Street, I guess exiting somewhere out of the building, uh, not out the front door, mind you, um, possibly the back door or, or some side door. Um, but he claims Oswald, he, he, sat, he stood right there on the steps and he watched Oswald come down Houston Street, cross Houston Street, and then turn the corner on Main Street. He said he watched Oswald leave. And he never said that Oswald came out the front doors. So, if Buell was telling the truth, that then this is a little monkey wrench for the prayer man folks. Because, also, you know, if you watch the, the film, when you see the officer run into the building, prayer man just stands there. You know, we don't see him go in after the officer. Now maybe maybe this event happened, um, you know, after out of, out, of, out of shot of the camera, you know, maybe a couple seconds after we see Marion Baker run into the building because, you know, these little movie clips that we're that we're watching, they're, I mean, we're talking a couple seconds, literally a couple seconds, um, and you know, it's it's possible, it is possible, now. The one thing that I thought was interesting is, um, of course, Buell Frazier was at the ARC conference last year. And somebody approached him with a blow-up of, of the Darnell film of the doorway with Prayer Man in the image. And you can blatantly see Frazier standing right in the middle of on the top step of the... Uh, the depository doorway. You can blatantly see that who Frazier is. And, you know, he's kind of a tall guy and, you know, the shape of his head and nose and everything is in his dark hair. You can tell it's Frazier. So somebody went up to Frazier and showed him this picture, this blow up of the Darnell image. And if anybody saw who prayer man was, it was Frazier because this big donk stood up on the steps for a good while. And in, in the, you know, parts of it, you can see, you know, that Frazier's kind of looking to his right. And out of the corner of his eye, he would have seen who Prayer Man was standing there, you know, a, a couple feet away from him. He he had to have seen him. But when somebody showed Frazier this photo, he refused to even identify himself in the photo, let alone who Prayer Man was. Um, which, to a lot of people, is very telling and kind of disingenuous because um, to me you can blatantly see who Frazier is in the photo you can blatantly see it you know why wouldn't you identify yourself yeah they, yeah, that's me yeah I'm looking over there uh, nope don't know who that person is you know it's a little crazy um, and they go on to say you know, it's possible that, that he was taken by surprise by Baker's sudden and extraordinarily early dash into the building. And he follows him in and truly upstairs. He follows him and truly upstairs by taking the front stairs 
and crossing the second floor <coughs> while they went to the elevators and tried them, not having any luck. Then they went up the back stairway. He looks through the door window at truly crossing the landing. He also sees Baker come out onto the landing, but is startled when Baker notices him back. Not wishing to draw attention to himself, he spins around and starts walking into the lunchroom, etc. You know, and it goes on and on. Well, now, why would the Oswald of this scenario want to keep tabs on Baker and Truly's progress? The answer, uh, Sean Murphy said, hardly needs spelling out. Continuing, Sean said within a few short hours of the assassination, Marion Baker gave an affidavit, um, you know, where, where he claimed this, you know, and uh, that he accompanied the officer immediately up to the immediately up the stairs to the second floor of the building. Is talking about the front stairs here for a route that will bring Oswald into Baker's path en route to the rear stairway. Marion Baker's September 64 clarification of his earlier Warren Commission testimony shows that he is uncertain on which floor the encounter with Lee Oswald actually occurred, which, in all, in all honesty, is, is understandable. Like I, like I said before, you know, a strange person running into a building, up some cr- crickety-rickety stairs, uh, and your focus is on something totally different than keeping track of what floor you're on. Uh, having started working at the Texas School of Depository only weeks prior to the assassination, Lee Oswald was not someone whose presence would be especially noticed. Um, Greg Parker, Sean Murphy's favorite researcher, had years previously raised the suggestion that the second floor lunchroom encounter was contrived. In addition to Prayer Man, Molina, Jones, and Lewis were also not identified by others of having been on the steps. Now, this is this is important. Um, not basically what they're saying is that nobody else noticed uh, Joe Molina, Roy Jones, and uh, not Roy Jones. I'm sorry, <laughs> Roy Lewis uh, is is not a were also not identified by others as having been on the steps, which is to say that nobody said nobody said that they saw them out there. You know, among all the people that were on the steps and and all the people they identified as other people on the steps did not include these three people. So Prayer Man could have also went unidentified. Uh Prayer Man appears to be holding something, perhaps a Coke, a sandwich, or even a camera. We went over this. Carolyn Arnold puts Oswald up on the second floor several minutes before the shooting. This makes a second trip there just minutes later uh, for the second floor lunchroom encounter unlikely. In December of 63, a month after the assassination, Will Fritz was saying that Oswald was stopped on the third or fourth floor on the stairway by Baker. This was contrary to the early FBI interrogation reports and his own notes. And like we said before, he didn't didn't even... Uh, write his notes until a couple days after Oswald was dead and they likely were copied from somebody else's notes so this is your master of interrogation Will Fritz the best interrogator in the southwest and the man doesn't even take notes Um, by April of 64 Fritz again said that the Baker Oswald encounter was on the second floor in the lunchroom so he's changed his story while in custody, Oswald didn't talk about a post-assassination second-floor lunchroom incident. He did, however, speak of a pre-assassination second-floor lunchroom visit, followed by a return downstairs. While Marion Baker was giving his affidavit at police headquarters, he saw Lee Oswald. According to Marvin Johnson, who took Baker's affidavit, 
Baker identified Lee Oswald as the man that he stopped on the fourth floor of the building. <laughs> That's a big jump. Unlike other officers, Baker is silent following the assassination on his post-assassination movements inside the TSBD. It's not until the Warren Commission's reconstructions at the TSBD months later and his March 64 testimony that he supports the final draft of the encounter uh, and relocated to the second floor lunchroom. Relocating the Baker-Oswald encounter to the second floor was a much better choice over the far more incriminating third or fourth floor stairway because of Vicki Adams and Sandra Stiles uh, and Bonnie Ray Williams' testimony and Otis uh, Williams' testimony. So, you know, you have all these people uh, on the stairs at various times and yet nobody sees Oswald or, or Baker and Truly. Um. Bonnie Ray said he saw a police officer come up on the elevator to the fifth floor, which means the officer didn't take the stairs or he got on the elevator, uh, on a, you know, either first, second, third or fourth floor. Um, but of course I believe that, well, no, we'll, we'll skip that cause I, I, don't, I can't confirm that or deny uh, then we have Vicki Adams and Sandra Stiles, and, and they, they didn't see Baker and Truly coming up the stairs, and they didn't see Oswald coming down them um, from the fourth to the first floor following the assassination. And December 1st, 1963, the Washington Post article has Truly and Baker scrambling up the stairs to the second floor. Then while on the second floor, they make their way to the back stairs and in the process encounter Lee Oswald. In other version, or in other words, this early version has them climbing the front steps. And not the back ones. And I will say this. And there is a couple instances out there in early versions of, you know, the assassination in various places. I guess from various sources. They do have the Baker and Oswald encounter happening on the first floor. As soon as he comes in the building. Um, it was reported in it was out there it's you know not, not it's not out there a lot but apparently some sources were were given were giving this information that you know that they met Oswald on the first floor and totally leaving out the uh, lunchroom encounter so you know it's it, it's hard to say um you know, there was the, the uh, list of articles picked up the suspect's home. You know, it goes on to say, all you know, a Russian passport, uh, miscellaneous photos, and one brown shirt with a button-down collar, which we know as CE-151, if you'd like to go look it up and see a picture of it. And it's interesting to put this picture next to Prayer Man and see what's up. And I'm sitting here looking at the picture, and it's undeniable where Frazier is. And it's undeniable that Frazier would have known or would have seen this prayer man. You know, it's just, I, I don't know. It's just Frazier had to see who this person was. And at this point, um, we see people milling about, not standing in line for the motorcade. You see them, people heading for the school book depository, you know, likely workers, going up the steps. We have prayer man on the left, 
and Frazier in the middle, and the guy in the black tie and suit behind Frazier, who was likely Joe Molina. Um, yeah, Frazier had to see who this guy was. You know, but to to me, either the guy, prayer man, um, is not standing on the top step, or uh, Frazier's really, really tall. I mean, we're talking prayer man in a straight line. If you go over, is it Frazier's chin underneath Frazier's chin? So if Prayer Man is standing on the same level as Frazier, it can't be Oswald. Because Oswald was short, but he wasn't that short. He would have been, I don't know, three, four, five, depending on the shoes, three, four, five inches uh, shorter than Frazier. I believe Frazier is in the neighborhood of six, six foot, six one. Oswald's five nine. I mean, we're talking... You know, less than six inches. But in this photo, we're talking four-headed chin, which is on any person, you know, at least 10 inches or, you know, roughly 10 inches. So, you know, it's just amazing to me, you know, what uh, all this stuff. And I mean, these guys, they, 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 they dug up some good stuff because in, in looking at, who possibly could have been Prayer Man? Um, some people have said, well, maybe it was Jack Doherty. Although his testimony doesn't ever say that he went out front. Uh, he's another worker that's not accounted for at the time of the shots. Um, which is a problem. Um, you know, the pr- Prayer Man is, is definitely not a black person. There, It's, a, it's obviously a white person. Um, so that eliminates a lot of people. Now, another possibility could have been uh, some of, some of the other workers from the other depository building coming over to the Elm Street building and coming in the back door by the docks, uh, the lo- the loading dock doors, and walking through the first floor shipping department and walking out front and nobody really knowing who they are or paying much attention. Um, another thing that struck me as odd is uh, it's Bill Shelley and all this. You know, now Bill Shelley was supposed to be out on these stairs too. And everybody kind of identifies Shelley as, 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 as having on a suit and tie and being caught in a photograph with... Uh, Danny Arce and Bonnie Ray Williams and getting in a squad car and going down to the sheriff's office, I guess, for questioning. Um, But having seen a picture of Bill Shelley from his younger days when he was at uh, Crozier, uh, it's either Crozier Tech or Crozier Academy in Dallas. It's hard for me to transform that young man into the guy bebopping down the street in a suit and tie. Um, there's also a photo out there of Roy Truly and Bill Shelley at a dog show. Where they, they, it's, you know, I guess it's a dog show. They have, you know, poodles or whatever, whatever 
frou-frou dogs they have and, and you know they're stretching them out on a leash and the, you know they're kind of showing them that guy that is identified as bill shelley with the dog uh looks nothing like the guy bebopping down the street in a suit and tie now i've i thought to myself okay what if the guy that we've always thought was bill shelley in these photos isn't bill shelley because we don't have a older picture of Bill Shelley to compare with uh, who we think is Bill Shelley, you know, at the time. We don't have an, you know, the closest thing we got is the, is the, do- the dog show photo. And it doesn't look anything like this guy bebopping down the street. And I pointed out that it could, it could possibly be, uh, you know, a, a detective, you know. Possibly, you know, walking these depository workers down and, and somebody said, well, you know, a detective would have wore a hat. Well, not necessarily. You know, it's like saying um, all detectives wore hats, which is definitely not true because I have pictures of many detectives that day that, that aren't wearing hats. Um, so it's not a prerequisite for a detective to wear a hat. Um, and then somebody said, well, a detective wouldn't ride in the back seat like that. Uh, you know, and I said, well, that's not true either. Okay. Um, because you have to remember that when all this was going on, a lot of these guys, they didn't have, I mean, it's not like they had to go far to get to the, either the sheriff's office or the police headquarters. I mean, it's pretty much within walking distance, you know, where they were going. And a lot of people didn't have their squad cars there. You know, they just walked over. People like Roger Craig, you know, people like that, who also wasn't wearing a hat that day, by the way. Um, <laughs> and so it's not out of the realm of possibility that, you know, that this cop, whoever he was, detective, uh, would have ridden in the back seat with these guys just to get just to go, you know, get a catch a ride over to, to the either the sheriff's office or or police headquarters. Um, not out of the realm of possibility because another scenario where we know that that happened was when Oswald was arrested at the Texas Theater. In fact, he had uh, he had two detectives in the back seat with him, one on either side, in the back seat, and there was three piled in the front. So, you know it. We have other instances of it happening. You know, it's not like it never happened. Um, now, when it comes to Bill Shelley, okay, he's a, this is a whole different ballgame here. Because somebody made the connection of this Crozier, this Crozier uh, technical school. It's been changed. The name was changed. Um. Let's see. The name was changed to Dallas Technical High School. Or no, it was the Texas... Shit. It was the Dallas Technical High School when it was changed to Crozier Tech. Um, but it was Dallas Tech in 1941. Alright, now, this is Mr. Potts. Now, Mr. Potts uh, was a Dallas police detective. And he was responsible for interviewing the TSBD crowd after the assassination. 
Okay. Now this guy is telling the Warren Commission about Crozier Tech. Okay, it says uh, it was right here on Bryan Street in 1941, and when I graduated, I went to work for Southwest Air Motive at Love Field. I worked for Tacy Badgett Aviation in 42 and 43 in Shreveport, Louisiana. I took an aviation cadet mental and physical down there and came back to Texas or yeah to Dallas to be inducted into the service and I worked for Lockheed at Love Field before I went to the service. I went to the service in July 1945. I was discharged January 47. I was in the 796 <coughs> excuse me military police battalion in Vienna, Austria and also the 505th there. I came back and went to work for the Taylor Publishing Company just before I went to work for the police department. My mother and father, they still live here out in Brookfield. My sister lives here, and I'm one of the very few native boys in this police department down here that's raised right here. Now, Potts was responsible, like I told you, for interviewing the TSBD crowd, and it raises suspicions that he had a Crozier Tech background, along with a military background, and worked in the aviation industry. Lived in Louisiana, and to cap it off, he worked for a publishing company before coming a Dallas police detective and, and interviewing the TSBD workers. Now, why does this matter? Well, two other people you may have heard of also went to Crozier Tech. One name is named Bill Shelley, who was a lieutenant in the ROTC there. Okay? I'm not making this stuff up. Uh... Let me find what I'm looking for here real quick. Uh, where are you at? Where are you at, Bill Shelley? Okay. He was a lieutenant in the ROTC at Crozier Tech. He was part of the Diamond uh, Discovery Club. The Rifle Team in 1942. And the Tech Talk staff. Okay. Now... This is Bill Shelley, a lieutenant in the ROTC and on the rifle team, which means he probably was a good shot, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, but that's probably just a coincidence, you know, as most things are, right? Now, Shelley, as a lieutenant in the ROTC, had demonstrable supervisory and leadership skills. He was head or co-head of the 50 cadets at Wild Crozier Tech. His likeliest route into intelligence work was through the U.S. Army. Now, he gave an interview to somebody named L.Z. Glaze in the 70s that he worked as an intelligence officer during World War II. Uh, this sounds rather circumspect. Uh, given his ROTC training, he could have stated more prom pompously that he worked in Army intelligence. Granted, he may have been simply an informant at a defense plant when he was 18 or 19, but his ROTC background leads me to think that he was more than your run-of-the-mill informant, that he had managerial duties as well related to intel work. Uh, I have no reason to suspect that he was bullshitting uh, LZ Glaze about being CIA. What would Shelley gain except for a lot of trouble <clears throat> from, a, from a flippant remark like that? I'd be more inclined to think his conscience was bothering him. He did refuse permission to get to have his name used in, in Glaze's article. So he kind of told her this under uh, the guise that he was the guys that he was going to have an, anonymity. 
Uh, Glaze assuredly believed him uh, because when he wrote the HSCA two years later, he closed with, I must admit that my own fear of getting involved in the investigation has prevented me from writing you earlier, and I apologize. Glaze's information could have been a case breaker, but the HSCA didn't pursue it. All Blakely, Blakey ever sent back was a form letter acknowledging a receipt of the letter. So, big shocker there. The HSCA ignored LZ Glaze's uh, Bill Shelley article, which could have really opened up some doors. Now, check this out. Another Crozier Tech student, Jack Doherty. That's right. We have Jack Doherty in... Uh, I believe it's Company B, and we have Bill Shelley. In, or no, he was in Company D. Bill Shelley in Company B, and all these guys were there at about the same time in the early '40s. Went into the military. Some, as far as Potts and Shelley go, uh, military intelligence by all accounts. Uh, everybody said that Jack Doherty was kind of slow, uh, maybe mildly retarded, but. Uh, I don't think you could get into the army if you were mildly retarded. Um, so maybe he was playing dumb or maybe he was slow but capable, comprehensible. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Um, what I'm getting at, what I'm trying to say is this. Is... That Jack Doherty, I mean, Bill Shelley, I'm sorry. Bill Shelley, <clears throat> he was the head of the uh, miscellaneous division, whatever the hell that means, at the School Book Depository. While, you know, likely a supervisory position most of the time, you know, where, where he could have been in a suit and tie kind of environment. Um, <laughs> there was something going on at the Elm Street building that uh, <clears throat> probably would have precluded him from being from dressing in a suit and tie. And that was the fact that they were replacing the floor on the sixth floor all morning. Now, the week before, they had been working on the fifth floor. So this was kind of an ongoing project to replace the, the worn-out, grease-stained, pitted floors of the, of the Elm Street building as it had been a air conditioner factory for 20 years before that that you know it became a book depository so the floors were in bad need of repair um so they'd already done the fifth floor they were working on the sixth floor that day now is it out of the realm of possibility that bill shelley would have been wearing dress clothes okay if he's actually up with the floor crew the whole time helping lay the floors you know, nobody's going to get up there in a suit and tie and, and do carpentry work. Okay, that's just, you know, unless he's standing there, you know, telling the other guys what to do and not doing any manual labor, which, you know, for what he was doing, he should have been pitching in. He should have been helping out and he should have been dressed down for the part. Um, which makes me also think that this guy in the pictures that have been identified as Bill Shelley is not Bill Shelley. I think Bill Shelley would have been in work clothes to do, be doing the job that he was doing because, um, you know, it's it's a dirty job. You're, you're crawling around on, the, on a dirty-ass floor. 
you know, you're pulling up old wood, you're cutting new wood, you're going to have sawdust everywhere, uh, you know, you're going to be hammering stuff, you're, you got you to move boxes out of the way, which brings me to another point. Can we stop calling this thing a sniper's nest yet, 52 years later, please? Um, look, the way the boxes were arranged on the sixth floor that day is because they were replacing the floors. It's not because Oswald went up there and built the Great Wall of China all the way around the edges of the sixth floor <coughs> to conceal his position. Okay, it was the floor crew. They were the ones who stacked the boxes around. Okay, so let me make it real simple for you. If you're replacing the floors in an area, you have to move the boxes out of the way that are in the floor. What are you going to do with them? You're going to stack them up as tall as you can get them without falling over or without hurting somebody else or without, you know, within arm's reach. You know, you're going to stack them up to, you know, about five or six feet high around the edges of the floor next to the walls over by the windows. So you have a clear space to work. You have six guys on the floor crew. Okay. You you, you need to have room for all these guys to be moving around and, and you, ha- you need room to put old wood. You need room for your new wood. You have to have room to cut your wood and measure. You need room to work. Okay, and in order to accomplish that without clearing the entire floor of all the boxes, you clear areas kind of as you go. Okay, and you're going to stack boxes up around the edges and by the windows as high as you can safely. And you have to remember this. Bonnie Ray Williams sits up on the sixth floor eating his chicken sandwich and <coughs> and his Fritos, drinking his Dr. Pepper, and he's sitting up there. Staring at the walls, lamenting God knows what, all alone. He'd been working up there on the sixth floor all morning. Don't you think that if something was odd or out of place to him as he's sitting there eating and looking around, uh, that it would, you know, a little bell would have went off in his head and he would have went over there and looked? No. The way the boxes were arranged on the sixth floor did not alarm Bonnie Ray because that's the way they were supposed to be. That's the way they had stacked them. That's the way that they had moved them out of the floor in order to have room for six men to be up there working with wood and cutting and replacing boards in the floor. (coughs) What it was was a conveniently partially concealed position, possibly for a sniper. Um... But anyway, to get back to prayer, man, and I'm sorry for that little diversion, but <sighs> sometimes, you know, you just have to vent a little bit. You know, I'm in this group, and I will give the admin props. His name is Jim Hess, and he's one of the best administrators out there as far as uh, group engagement and uh, keeping order and uh, providing topics for discussion, encouraging discussion. Uh, keeping things lively, he, you know, he produces his own videos for the group. Great administrator. All my uh, dealings with him have been top notch. He's he's a you know he's a he's a he's a he's a classy guy. You know, one on one behind the scenes. You know, things might get a little heated in the group from time to time because it is a very lone nut centric group. Um, so 
you know, things get things get a little hot and heavy around there sometimes, but it's a it's a good group if you if you, you know if you want to debate uh other people that might not think the same as you do. Um and we were talking about this people kept saying sniper's nest, sniper's nest. You know, he was shooting from the sniper's nest. Well, I don't know. You know, what was somebody sitting back there, you know, cramped up holding this big old clunky rifle for for 20 minutes while while Bonnie Ray ate his sandwich and Fritos and smoked a cigarette. You know, that just seems ridiculous to me that somebody's hiding silently, you know, while putting together this 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 big old clunky ass rifle but it's making no noise, nothing to set off alarm bells for for uh Bonnie Ray. You know, nothing 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 like that. So let's let's you know, have a little community meeting and let's stop using the word sniper's nest because that's not what it was. Okay, it was a convenient placement to partially conceal uh possibly an individual up there. But back to prayer, man. The reason, you know, Bill Shelley, <laughs> we don't know what Bill Shelley looked like that day. Um, that's my only bone of contention. You know, people say that prayer man could be love lady. Well, at the time of one of these, you know, according to the Warren Commission testimony, both love lady and Shelley said they started walking down the, <clears throat> the Elm Street uh, towards the rail yards. Uh, so the problem with that statement is it's not in their first day testimony. This came later to the Warren Commission and there, and I mentioned it on the last podcast that in the, uh, in their first day testimony, uh, Bill Shelley says that after the shots, he went inside to call his wife <laughs> He doesn't mention going walking down the street with Billy Lovelady. Uh, so, who knows? You know, when when you have these discrepancies like this, and and they're not they're not called on them uh, by the Warren Commission or any other investigative body. What what are you to do with it? And everybody's dead by now. Uh, what you know? What are you going to do with this information? It's one of these great enduring mysteries that we might never know the answer to. Um, you know, one of the missions is to get, to get the original, uh, Darnell film, to get the original couch film, the original Wigman film, and get the best possible copies of these films to hopefully discern a little better (coughs) who Prayer Man could possibly be. That's the only option. Now, in some people's minds, this is a slam dunk, baby. It's got to be Oswald. It's got to be. And I'll admit I'm intrigued. At first I was I was put off by the notion, uh, fresh off the heels of, you know, debating the OIC fools and Ralphson and K and Fetzer for a couple years. But I will admit, after reading Stan Dane's book and reading all the research and all the factors going into uh, everything surrounding the notion that Oswald was on the first floor and could have stepped outside uh, and that possibly this whole lunchroom encounter was contrived later so that this little alibi <coughs> uh, that he was out front 
with Bill Shelley uh, could not be used. I'm warming up to the idea. I'm open to the idea, most most definitely. Um, and uh, and and you know, in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to ex- be examining more and more and more about what this depository and and these workers and what they were doing and what happened and Buell Frazier and and Eddie Piper and Jack Doherty and all these other cats. And uh, we're going to try to parse it out a little bit. I have a very, very special guest coming up for you guys. Hopefully starting next week. It's going to be a multi-week series because I can't just do one show with this guy. Okay, it's somebody who's been very influential to my work and my research and my train of thought. And it's my pleasure to share him with you. Uh, He's somebody that nobody's heard from before on the airwaves. Uh, He normally doesn't do this. He has written a book. But I'm not going to announce names yet until I have these interviews in the can. Okay? Because... I just don't want to step on, have to step on my own feet in case something happens. Uh, but that's the plan uh, is is to start bringing you, you know, a three or four part interview in the in the upcoming weeks leading up to the assassination uh, anniversary, and that's the plan. And it's some somebody really great. Uh, I've talked to him a few times already. He's a great guy, and I like the way he thinks. And He's been very influential to me. He's 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 done a lot of great work. Like I said, he's written a book. Uh, he's left some great research out there on the forums uh, for people to run with and take further, like I've tried to do, both here and in print. So look for that in the coming weeks. And I would like to also point everybody in the general direction of Neopolis Media Group, which you can find now at www. N-E-A-M-G dot com for all your Neapolis Media Group needs. Also on Twitter and Facebook. Also, my buddy Doug over at the Dallas Action, like I pointed at you before I started this show, to check out his interviews with Jeffrey Caulfield about the new book, General Walker and the Murder of President Kennedy, an extensive right-wing conspiracy. Because you will find out things that you didn't know before. Little small things that might might mean nothing, but they might mean something. Like Garrison used to play chess with Guy Bannister. Like James Hostie and Robert Surrey, General Walker's aide, and uh, purveyor of the whole Wanna for Treason poster. Uh, they were bridge partners for 23 years. James Hostie. You know, the guy that just happened to be assigned to Oswald. Uh, you know, these <laughs> little things like this that's kind of hard to overlook that just kind of makes you go, hmm. And it's all documented by Jeffrey Caulfield. And you can hear him exclusively right now on the Dallas Action. So go check it out. All my other friends, Chuck, Will, I've got their links all on my site. Head over to TLG dot, TLGpodcast.com for all my friends' links. Uh, there's a link there for Lancer. If you're attending that, you can, you can hit hit the link, check it out, who they're going to have at their conference. Uh, you can get tickets. There's links there for the ROKC, ROKC conference in Australia <clears throat> this November. 
There's a link there where you can get your tickets and more information. Uh, so please check that out. And like I said, hopefully, cross your fingers, people. Big things are coming uh, in the next couple of weeks just for you. And, uh, well, for, uh, I'm a little guilty of being selfish. It's kind of for me, too, because, like, this guy, I've really admired him for a long time and his work for, you know, the past couple of years now. And if, it, if, if, if I hadn't stumbled across some of his work in the past, I wouldn't be uh, anywhere near where I am now. So I'm excited, too. So people, stay tuned for that. Um, big things coming tlgpodcast.com for everything else I'm going to put up pictures uh, I'm going to put up I'm going to try to put up gifs or gifs or whatever the hell they're called <laughs> on my website and hopefully they work you know they don't work on Facebook uh, but hopefully they'll work on my web page and so you can see some of this stuff for yourself you can check you can see prayer man for yourself uh, you can see some of the supporting evidence for yourself I'll put up the picture of Bill Shelley from his yearbook where it says blatantly that he was in the rifle club. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. So check it out and stay tuned, people. This son bitch is in the can. Beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace on a prayer.
do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.